Well, Gertrude Hobbs could take shorthand at an amazing 250 words per minute. Some of you are saying, who cares? Some of you are saying, what's shorthand? (laughs) (laughs) But God gave Gertrude, as a husband, a man named Oswald Chambers, who was an early 20th century evangelist and teacher. And Gertrude was able to take her husband's sermons and the lectures that he gave at the Bible Training College and transcribe them. So that when Oswald Chambers died in 1917, she could take those transcriptions and turn them into what has been called one of the best-selling devotionals. Some people say the best-selling devotional of all time. It's called My Utmost for His Highest. And that devotional has never been out of print since it was first published in 1924. It's been translated into 39 different languages. If you don't have a copy of My Utmost for His Highest, I suggest you get one. And though this is completely off topic, another a little aside for us, be encouraged that God is at work. He's bringing people into our lives. We don't even know the purpose for which he's bringing them into our lives at the time, but he knows. And he's building his kingdom through those relationships, and that's exciting to me. Now, back to Oswald Chambers. He writes this in that devotional. When we become advocates of a creed, something dies. We do not believe God. We only believe our belief about him. Believe also in me, said Jesus, not believe certain things about me. In a similar way, Richard Halverson, chaplain of the U.S. Senate from 1981 to 1994, writes this. Propositional truth is important, but the basis of faith is always Jesus Christ himself. Believing Jesus, not just believing my beliefs about Jesus, is basic. I think these are always timely reminders for the church, for our church. If they cause us to to pause and ask, where are we putting our emphasis? As I look around the evangelical Christian church today, I see a lot of emphasis on study. A lot of emphasis on knowledge. There are Bible tools and Bible software that is unbelievable to me. There are conferences in all places at all times. And those things can be good. Unless it makes us make Christ an object to be evaluated and examined. Instead of a person with whom we have a relationship, a person who evaluates and examines us. We are taught To love the Word of God, but are we taught how to love Jesus? The Bible is not just propositional truths to be studied. Do you believe that Jesus is the Son of God? Yes. Do you believe that He is the only Savior for sinners? Yes. Do you believe and rest upon Christ alone for your salvation? Yes. The end. Or too often, that's the end. Sometimes it seems as if we believe that when Jesus came, He threw out everything but belief, that he doesn't care who we are or how we live our lives. Well, my prayer this morning is that as we come to this passage, that we will be reminded that it does make a difference who we are. It does make a difference how we live our lives and that we will commit ourselves here this morning to be people who set our lives apart for God, who live lives of holiness. 
Hope we'll accomplish that or the Lord will accomplish it through us as we come to Deuteronomy chapter 14. I'm telling you we're going to read the entirety of the chapter. Some of it is less than riveting, but we're going to read it anyway. So I'm going to ask you if you have your Bibles to turn the Old Testament to Deuteronomy chapter 14. When you've found your place, I'm going to ask you to stand and we are going to hear read together the word of the living God. Deuteronomy chapter 14, verse 1, this is the word of the Lord. You are the children of the Lord your God. Do not cut yourselves or shave the front of your heads for the dead, for you are a people holy to the Lord your God. Out of all the peoples on the face of the earth, the Lord has chosen you to be his treasured possession. Do not eat any detestable thing. These are the animals you may eat, the ox, the sheep, the goat, the deer, the gazelle, the roe deer, the wild goat, the ibex, the antelope, and the mountain sheep. You may eat any animal that has a split hoof divided in two and that chews the cud. However, of those that chew the cud or that have a split hoof completely divided, you may not eat the camel, the rabbit, or the coney. Although they chew the cud, they do not have a split hoof. They are ceremonially unclean for you, the pig is also unclean. Although it has a split hoof, it does not chew the cud. You are not to eat their meat or touch their carcasses. Of all the creatures living in the water, you may eat any that has fins and scales, but anything that does not have fins and scales, you may not eat, for to you it is unclean. You may eat the clean bird, but these you may not eat. The eagle, the vulture, the black vulture, the red kite, the black kite, any kind of falcon, any kind of raven, the horned owl, the screech owl, the gull, any kind of hawk, the little owl, the great owl, the white owl, the desert owl, the offspray, and the cormorant, the stork, any kind of heron, the hoopoe, and the bat. All flying insects that swarm are unclean to you. Do not eat them, but any winged creature that is clean you may eat. Do not eat anything you find already dead. You may give it to an alien living in any of your towns, and he may eat it, or you may sell it to a foreigner, but you are a people holy to the Lord your God. Do not cook a young goat in its mother's milk. Be sure to set aside a tenth of all that your fields, all your fields produce each year. Eat the tithe of your grain, new wine and oil, and the firstborn of your herds and flocks in the presence of the Lord your God at the place he will choose as a dwelling for his name, so that you may learn to revere the Lord your God always. But if that place is too distant, and you have been blessed by the Lord your God and cannot carry your tithe, because the place where the Lord will choose to put his name is so far away, then exchange your tithe for silver and take the silver with you and go to the place the Lord will, your God will choose. Use the silver to buy whatever you like, cattle, sheep, wine, or other fermented drink, Or anything you wish. Then you and your household shall eat there in the presence of the Lord your God and rejoice. And do not neglect the Levites living in your towns, for they have no allotment or inheritance of their own. At the end of every three years, bring all the tithes of that year's produce and store it in your towns, so that the Levites, who have no allotment or inheritance of their own, and the aliens, the fatherless and the widows, who live in your towns may come and eat and be satisfied, and so that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word, all of it. Thank you that you reveal yourself to us, your character, your nature. You reveal to us in your word who you want us to be, who you enable us to be, 
through the power of your Spirit. So we call on you now, Spirit of God, to teach us your truth through your Word. May nothing else be heard or remembered or applied to our lives, Lord, but your truth. So we commit ourselves to you as we gather around your word as your sons and daughters. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Last week we looked at only verses 1 and 2 of chapter 14, and we talked exclusively about our identity, who we are. We are sons and daughters, children of the living God. That's it. And you and I are to live out our lives, everything we do from this identity, children of God. We're not sometimes children of God. We're always children of God. We're not children of God just in some places, but in all places where we find ourselves, we're children of God. We're not children of God just among certain people, but among all people, we are the children of God. Not just in some of our work or some of of our activities are we children of God, but in all of our work and in all of our activities, you and I are to live and act like the children of the living God. That is our identity. And that identity should give us peace and security because the God of the universe has chosen us to be his children and he loves us immensely. So we should be released, you and I. We should be set free from the oppression that always comes from trying to choose an alter identity for ourselves. From all the effort and all the oppression and all the burden that comes from trying to create that identity and and sustain that identity. When we are believers in Christ, that has been determined for us. And as I mentioned last week, almost the entirety of the remainder of the book of Deuteronomy, is just dressing up that identity. What does a child of God look like in the world? How does a child of God live in the world every day of our lives? This past Tuesday, May 5th, wasn't just Cinco de Mayo, a day where we, who ate Mexican? Come on. Who drank Mexican? Do not raise your hand. But it was also the birthday, the 202nd birthday, of the famous existential Christian philosopher Soren Kierkegaard. And this issue is exactly the thing that concerned him. How we exist. How we live our lives. In fact, the issue for Kierkegaard, even more significant to him than holding correct beliefs, is how children of God live their lives. Now, initially, this is shocking to evangelical Christians who proclaim sola scriptura, scripture alone, who believe as I believe in the inerrancy and the inspiration of the word of God. But the point is that our proclamations and our beliefs aren't enough. How did this being come into existence that we call a a, a nominal Christian? Where did that concept come from? Being a a Christian in name only, or Christian because I say I believe a certain set of truths, I don't believe you can find, because I don't believe they existed, nominal Christians in the first centuries of the church. 
And perhaps that's why a church of such relatively few people could make such an impact, a monumental impact around the world. It's why it was said of them that they are turning the world upside down. Nominal Christians who just proclaim certain beliefs without living them don't turn the world upside down. And besides, what was the upside of running the risk of being thrown to the lions or set on fire as a living torch just for simply saying that you believed certain things? Truth isn't just to be believed. Truth is to be lived out as well. John chapter 1, 14, and the word, Jesus, became flesh and dwelled among us. And we have seen his glory, the glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. Jesus lived out truth as he lived among people, all kinds of people in all kinds of places. Jesus spoke the truth and he lived out the truth as well. So here... This idea of living as children of God confronts us in this chapter 14 of Deuteronomy. God's children were called by God, delivered from slavery and bondage to be free to be the people that he has made us to be, his children. What people can get it more right in this world than people who live by the truth of God? What people in this world can be more blessed than those who are living for God? Whose life can be more attractive to the world than those people who are living their lives for God? Truly, what better example of humanity can be offered than those who live life God's way? Humanity is His creation. He created the prototype for men and women. And the closer we get to what God intended for us, the most beautiful part being that close communion that Adam and Eve had in the Garden of Eden with the living God, the closer we become to that, the better human beings we become. Then we come to this passage in Deuteronomy 14. And we read an awful lot of do nots. You heard all those. I'm not going to read them again. They're everywhere. Verse 1, 3, 7, 9, 10, 19, 20, 21. Do not, do not, do not, do not. That's what we read. Doesn't sound like much fun, does it? When you start hearing that, suddenly this black pall has been draped over our lives, you know, and, and all the fun is gone. Because think of this. Take away pig from a southerner, and what do we have left? I'm not kidding. Take away pig from us, and I think our economy would collapse. Don't you? That really is the truth. Barbecue everywhere. How could there be any joy in a life lived under this system? And this is only one part of one chapter. There's much more to come. What do you suppose life was like under this system? Well, think about this. It's a great thought. The Psalms were written by people who lived under this system that Moses is preaching now to the people as they're gathered on the plains of Moab, including Deuteronomy chapter 14. People who wrote the Psalms lived under this system. What did they think? Psalm 1 verse 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. 
He's like a stream planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season. And its leaf does not wither and all that he does, he prospers. This is what we would call now a personal testimony. The testimony of someone who has lived their life according to God's plan. And what does he write? What was his life experience from living that way? Well, he felt like a strong tree planted by a stream of water. He felt like his life was meaningful and accounted for something. And it was an abundant life. Why? Because he delighted in the law of the Lord. That's what happens when God's law is never far from our minds, day or night, diurnally, nocturnally. Psalm 18, 11. I love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation. Psalm 16. I love the Lord. Because he heard my voice and my pleas for mercy. Because he has inclined his ear to me. Therefore, I will call on him as long as I live. Psalm 34. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Psalm 28. Praise be to the Lord for he has heard my cry for mercy. The Lord is my strength and my shield. My heart trusts in him and he helps me. My heart leaps for joy, and with my song, I praise him. We could stay here for the remainder of the day, reading passages from the Psalms, expressions of love for the Lord, and joy in the Lord, and gratitude for the nearness of the Lord, and thanksgiving for his mercy and his compassion and his grace. These expressions of love and devotion from the Lord are not superficial. They're not external. They are not descriptive of a nominal faith, but they come from a very deep place, a very emotional place of real love for God. So clearly, life lived under this system can be a beautiful life and an inspirational life. Yes, life, even in the Old Testament, Not a life of drudgery when it's lived rightly before the Lord and with heartfelt devotion. Oppression comes in only when the law is misused by us or misunderstood. And we have to bear that in mind as we look at these verses today. As we consider all of these permissions, but also prohibitions as well. One commentator has called this section of Deuteronomy, the holiness of the laity. You know, laity is everyone who's not clergy. And so it puts before us the, the goal of everyone, not just the priests, not just the super or hyper-religious, all people, a call to life of holiness. We are to lead stand-out lives, set-apart lives. So let's look at verse 1 in this first prohibition. Do not cut yourselves or shave the front of your heads for the dead. Now, I don't want to spend too much of our valuable time talking about uh, these practices other than to say that they were part of the mourning or grieving ritual of the, the, the pagan nations, the nations who are now living in the promised land where God is sending his people. This is how they live. This is how they behave. Cut themselves, shave their heads. They would cut off their hair and put their hair 
uh, in with the dead, and then they would take hair from the dead and keep it for themselves and somehow make this bond between the two. So there was a connection between the living and the dead, and this was the hope. You know, if there was this connection, that they could go to the dead in hopes that the dead could predict the future for them. That's what they were seeking. So too, the cutting of their bodies, mingling their blood with the blood of the dead. It was like making a covenant with them. And both of these practices were this excessive exhibition of of grief. And so Moses tells the people that when they take up residence in the promised land, they cannot look like, nor can they act like the culture around them because they are not like them. They are children of the living God. They do not worship the dead. They worship the one and only true and living God. They don't make covenants with the dead. Why? Because they are already in a beautiful covenant with the living God. They don't seek direction for their life and for their futures from the dead, but instead they seek it from the one and only true and living God. Nor are they to grieve wildly and excessively as if there is no hope. Why? Because God's children have the greatest hope of all. Psalm 130, O Israel, hope in the Lord. For with the Lord there is steadfast love and with him is plentiful redemption. Plentiful redemption. Psalm 131, O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. Psalm 31, be strong and let your heart take courage, all you who hope in the Lord. When you're living in the land, And when the eyes of those who do not know the Lord God are watching you, do not communicate hopelessness. Children of God have full reason to live a life of full hope. Why live otherwise? Why communicate anything other than our hope in God? Life without God versus life with God. That's the contrast that the Apostle Paul takes up in Ephesians chapter 2. He talks about people who were living apart from Christ. People who were excluded from the citizenship of the people of Israel. They weren't children of God. He says, you did not know the covenant promises God had made to them. You lived in this world without God and without hope. But now you've been united with Christ Jesus Once you were far away from God, but now you have been brought near to him through the blood of Christ. Good news. Hopeful news. As is 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the famous famous verse about the certainty of the resurrection. Because Jesus has been resurrected from the dead, so shall we be as well. God's children, you and I, have the most reason to be the most hopeful people in the world. For this life and for the next. Do you believe that? Do you? Do you have hope? Amen. Jim, thank you. I'm glad you have hope. <laughs> Does anybody else have hope? Yes. But cutting of the body wasn't just limited to their mourning or their grieving rituals. It was also part of their worship ritual. And you probably remember the story about Elijah. When he threw down this challenge to the prophets of Baal, he gathered them all up. Come on up. Come on up to Mount Carmel. And he said to them, you call on the name of your God and I will call on the name of the Lord. And the God who answers by fire, he is God. 
Well, prophets of Baal, you go first. So the prophets of Baal went first. And from morning until noon, they called on Baal. No answer. They danced. No answer. At noon, Elijah said, shout louder. So they did. No answer. Then scripture says that they began to slash themselves with swords and spears, as was their custom, until their blood flowed. See, look what they had to do to get the attention of their God. Shout, gyrate, cut. Look what they had to do to win the favor of their God or to get an answer from Him. Guess what? God's people are different. And I really do hope that you have stopped recently to be amazed at what easy access you have to the living God. You don't have to shout. You don't have to gyrate frantically. God, Lord, no, 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 here, here, no, 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 here, no, 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 no. It's not what we're called to do. We're different. We don't have to cut ourselves. You know, God, our God is unique in this way. Of all other gods, of all other nations, of all other religions in the world, God doesn't require that we first appease Him. He doesn't require first that we please Him in some way before He'll take notice of us. We don't have to cut ourselves. We don't have to shed our blood because God has already done that for us. You know that story. The thorns pierced his brow. The nails pierced his hands and his feet. And the sword cut him in the side. And when that cutting, that bleeding, that crucifying process was complete... When Jesus was truly dead on the cross, God sent an unequivocal, unambiguous message beyond any ability to misinterpret. In the moment when Jesus died, that big, enormous, massive curtain in the temple, the one that separated the Holy of Holies, the place where God dwelt, from everything else and from everyone else, in that moment when Jesus died, That court curtain was torn and access was forever open to God because of Jesus and his death on the cross. All that needs to be done to get to God has been done by God. Jesus did it. It's that simple. Why should we not have the greatest hope? This is what our God is like. Why do you communicate out there in the other places you go outside of this place anything but hope? Why would you communicate fear or hopelessness or bondage when we have faith and hope and freedom? Colossians chapter 4 puts this challenge out to all of us. Live wisely among those who are not believers. Live wisely among those who are not believers. And make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be gracious and attractive so that you will have the right response for everyone. See, these verses call for a commingling of belief and truth with life and living. 
The two of them go together. You believe the truth about Jesus. You believe the truth about his resurrection. You believe the certainty of your resurrection. Now live out that belief. So you and I can have this choice. We can join in the negativity and the complaining that's often around us. It's easy to do. We can join in the fearful responses that those around us make to the situations that are taking place in the world or in our government. Oh dear. The reality of our world can be difficult. You may have a very difficult person with whom you work. You can join in complaining, tearing down that person, or you can speak words of life and hope. You may live with a difficult person. You can tear them down, or you can speak words of love and hope. Difficult situations, tragic situations, it doesn't matter. You can speak and live as a person of hope because your hope is in Christ. And that sets you apart in every situation in your life. Just by being the hopeful you. Just by being the hopeful you that you should be. But particularly being the hopeful you in difficult circumstances or tragic circumstances or death circumstances. Based on what you believe, you can be used mightily by God to bring that hope to others, to to bring God's life to others. And the same is true for the rest of this chapter as well. And we don't need to talk about all the dietary issues here. Nancy Vincent's probably hoping I'll turn you all into vegetarians by the end of this sermon, but I'm not going to do that. Some have speculated that some of the foods that are prohibited here can be proven to be more toxic than other foods, and that's probably the truth. Because God cares about all of us, not just our souls, our spirits, and our minds. He cares about our physical being as well. So maybe that is the reason. But Paul writes in 1 Timothy, everything created by God is good and nothing's to be rejected if it's received with thanksgiving. So I think more important that here again is the idea of our being set apart. And some of the foods that are listed here were used by pagans in their worship. So, so again, don't be like them. Don't act like them. Be different. Be set apart. Or simply just because God says it. Don't eat this because God said so. Do eat this because God says so. I don't know why. I don't understand why. But God said it, so it must be good. And so I'm going to believe it and live by it. Maybe that's the only reason. The same thing can be said about the the tithe of produce that's mentioned here in these verses. God's people are set apart. We're different than the world around us, which means we don't have to keep the best and the first for ourselves. It means that we're not motivated by stuff and accumulating it in our lives. We can give it away because God gave it to us in the first place. And our hope is always in the faithful provision of the Lord For all of our needs and not in our shrewd or savvy saving of our things. See, our our thinking and our acting and our living is to be different from the rest of the world. That's what marks you and me as different. Not just what we say we believe. On the rare occasions when we actually open our mouths and, and, and verbalize what we believe to someone else. It's it's how we live. Because the life of Jesus and the hope of Jesus infuses us and causes the world to take notice. You and I don't have to be pulled away by the attractions of the world. We don't have to be gullible consumers of false hope that the world offers in its things as if real hope is in stuff or things or looks or status. 
We live differently. We live set apart. God wants us marked as his by the way we live. God wants us marked as his by the way we live our lives. All of us belongs to the Lord. We're set apart to him. Our bodies belong to him. First Corinthians chapter six. Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. This is scripture. You are not your own for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. It's how we live our lives. We honor God with our bodies. We don't cut it. We don't abuse it. We're careful of what we put into it and what we do with it. All of us, we're set apart into God. Honor God with what you have. It isn't yours. Because from him and through him and to him belong all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. How many of you have seen Schindler's List? Schindler's List. Steven Spielberg movie, 1993, about the Holocaust. It's filmed in black and white. Now let me ask you, what is one thing that stands out in your mind about uh, uh, this movie, Schindler's List? What comes to your mind? Anybody? Yeah. Well, all right, you know what? You're not going to guess the right answer, so I'm just going to tell you. Yes, the girl in the red coat. The girl in the red coat. It's the only color in the movie. I don't mention that because I want to talk about the symbolism of the girl in the red coat. I just want to talk about the memorableness of it. That splash of color, that splash of red is one of the most memorable things in the entire movie. It's often what people say stands out in their minds. Well, God gave his children... That's you and me, these laws to live by, not to suppress us, not to oppress us, but so that we can be standouts in this world. Living our lives the way God has asked his children to live them, it's memorable because it's easy to see the color of God in our lives. Our lives are memorable because of the hope that we possess. Our lives are memorable memorable because of the love and the joy and the peace, and the patience, and the kindness, and the goodness, and the gentleness, and the faithfulness, and the self-control that mark the lives of all those who love the Lord. So you and I, as God's children, we're called to be these splashes of color in a world that is without light and without life, if it is without Christ. And so we say, come here for the message of hope. Come here for the message of life. And when we believe in Christ, and when we live for Christ, and when we stand on Christ alone, we will be standouts in the world, set apart. And not only will we be blessed by living as God has called us to live, but the world will be blessed through us. And that is a worthy goal. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we do thank you again for your word, all of it. It's all good for us, and Lord, it all brings you glory when it's understood rightly and lived out rightly. And Father, it's very clear in your word that you have called your people, your children, to be set apart, 
to live other than the world around us. You haven't called us out of the world. Jesus, in fact, you said, I don't take you out of the world. You leave us here to be in this world, but to be your children in this world. You don't call us to seclude ourselves or segregate ourselves, all the Christians over here and everybody else, whatever. No, Lord, you call us to live out our Christianity, to live as your sons and daughters right in the middle of this world, to do it with love and joy and peace and all all the fruit of the Spirit that is to mark our lives. So, Lord, I pray for myself and for all of us here this morning right now, that you would help us do this. Somehow, Lord, we've believed the lie that the more we look like the culture, the better off we'll be. We'll be more attracted to them and more accepted by them if we just act like them. Lord, that's such a lie. As we're with them, wherever we're with them, you call us to be different, to act differently, to speak differently, not in judgment, Lord, but just from that place of love and joy that we have in you and for you and and from this conviction, Lord, that as we are the people you called us to be, it'll be a blessing to the people around us. They don't need us to be like them. They need us to be different from them. So convict us of that, Lord, and give us the bravery and the courage and the ability to do that. And we pray that transformation would come to our city and to our culture because those of us who are here this morning are determined Uh, to live our lives as children of the living God, standing on Christ alone. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.